0: Entrepreneur on Fire, episode 392. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful entrepreneurs. Join
1: John Lee Dumas and today's Entrepreneur on Fire.
0: Not sure what a turn for your company's legal matters? Walker Corporate Law offers an all-you-can-eat startup package at just $2,900. And the best part, they specialize in working with entrepreneurs and startups. Contact Scott at walkercorporatelaw.com. Are you an Audiobooks.com member? Get one title of your choice per month plus 33% off each additional title. And guess what? You can get started with your first book for free today. Go to audiobooks.com slash fire. Okay, Fire Nation, let's get started. I am simply thrilled to introduce my guest today, Dan Pink. Dan, are you prepared to ignite
1: John, I'm so prepared, I can't even describe to you the depth of my preparation.
0: (laughs) I love that. Guys, Dan is the author of five provocative books, including the long-running New York Times bestsellers A Whole New Mind and Drive. His latest book, To Sell is Human, is a number one New York Times business bestseller. I've given Fire Nation just a little overview, Dan, so take a minute. Tell us about you personally. We want to get to know you. Then let's get an overview of what you have going on.
1: So I'm a writer, and I work here in my office. Uh, my office is my garage, so it's very entrepreneurial. Yes. I, I, um, like, like many entrepreneurs, uh, uh, the, the ground zero of my venture is my garage, which we converted to an office. And uh, for the last 16 and a half years, I've been working for myself. Um, on my own, self-employed, uh, writing, and I can't imagine being anything except an entrepreneur.
0: So, Dan, give us a little personal background. We really want to connect with you on that level, as far as family, location, etc.
1: I grew up in Central Ohio, Columbus, Ohio. Uh, I went to college. Um, I loved college. I graduated from college. I went to law school. I didn't really love law school. <laughs> I never practiced law a day in my life. Uh, but I did meet my wife in law school, so that was all good. Uh, upon leaving law school, I began working in politics. At a time in my misguided youth, that's what I was most keenly interested <laughs> in, and I worked uh, in a number of political jobs. And in a weird way, just found myself writing speeches. It wasn't anything that I set out to do, but became a political speechwriter. Did that for a while, and then. Uh, in uh, 1997, just couldn't take working in politics anymore. I couldn't stand working in politics. Um, I thought it was, um, had grown incredibly cynical, incredibly partisan, um, not particularly about, more about tactical advantage than doing anything transcendent. And um, it turns out that those, unfortunately, like that was the good old days now. Um, And so I left um, hoping to Uh, uh, write under my own byline. I'd always been writing on the side and I said, well, maybe this thing that I'm doing on the side should be what I do in the center. And I'd always been very, very keenly interested in work, why people work, what people do at work, how work is organized. And so I I just, um, at that point, we lived in a different house and I went up to the third floor of my house. So I had an office on the third floor of our house in the attic. And I said, let me just try to see if I can uh, make a living and make a life doing what I really like to do what what provides me a source of meaning and, and what I think might have a tiny little effect on the world. And that was, uh, as I said, 16 and a half years ago. And, um, you know, it hasn't been perfect, but I haven't looked back and it's and, you know, I can't imagine doing anything differently.
0: Love that, Dan. And was that a promotion or a demotion moving from the attic to the garage?
1: You know, I think it was a little <laughs> bit of a promotion for everybody in the family because, It separated me from the house, which I think was a good thing. So um, you wouldn't have me stomping on the floor when (laughs) I was on the phone. And uh, it may – there's something – it's interesting. It's a really interesting question actually. um, You know – one of the things that you're seeing now and I'm sure a lot of your listeners is that the divide between sort of what is work and what is personal has become a little bit hazy. Totally. The divide between in in terms of how we navigate our lives, the divide between what is work and what is home has become a little bit hazy. And I think that that kind of unification of work and family, of work and home, of work and personal is generally a good thing. But I do think that there are instances where you want to kind of impose a soft separation. And so having an office that is 22 steps from my back door, believe it or not, is actually very different from having an office that is 22 steps up the stairs. I think it's better for me, and I I actually think it's better for my family.
0: Well, I totally see that, and it resonates with me because my office is about eleven steps from my bed, and so there truly is no separation.
1: There's some convenience there. I, I, you know, I, I do think that, entre, you know, entrepreneurs. You know, the, the funny thing about people on you know they think about entrepreneurs or people who are self-employed right. is that they, they say other civilians say, "Oh, well, how do you you know how do you get yourself to work? How do you like you know like you can do anything you want, and so you go and you work." And that's not the, pr- the problem. It's the opposite problem. The problem is, how do you stop working?
0: That is so well said. I mean, when I'm sitting here in my office, quote unquote, living room, quote unquote, 11 steps from my bedroom. I mean, it's so easy for me to always kind of look over and see my workstation and be like, I wonder if I can just jump on my email, if I can knock a few things out real quick and, you know, hit pause on Netflix during a movie or what have you. Where is that separation between work and non-work time? And that's so true. It's not how do you turn into work mode? It's how do you turn off work mode?
1: Yeah, and i don 't think it has to be you know i think it 's a different it 's a very interesting issue actually i, I don 't think it has to be a the kind of separation that you saw where where people lived in one place and worked in another place where they lived at their home and worked at the factory, and those two domains never intersected i don 't think it has to be like that, but on the other hand, I do think we have to look for ways on our own to craft and customize the proper balance between the two and there 's some really intriguing ways people have done that. I wrote a little bit about this in my very first book, Free Agent Nation, which came out. Uh, 12 years ago. And um, and one of the things that really struck me was um, this one person I wrote about who had a home office in someone else's house. So what, what he would do is he would walk down the street to his neighbor and his neighbor basically rented him out the attic. And so he would go and He would go and, like, you know, take a whatever, how many, you know, take a um, one tenth of a mile commute to someone else's house and work in their home office. And that gave him the kind of soft separation that he needed.
0: This is a fascinating tangent that we just went on. It was totally unpredicted and not even purposeful but it is so valuable i think for fire nation to really kind of soak on this subject a little bit because so many of the listeners are entrepreneurs are entrepreneurs who are thinking about getting into this and this is really an issue that you're going to have to work through to find out what works best for you for my situation i've been doing this now for over three years as far as working from home and being self-employed and doing all these things so i know that this does work for me but it's not the same recipe for success for everybody but dan before we just continue off onto this tangent, which is so valuable, and I'm glad we hit these points, I do want to kind of bring us back now to the main focal point of this interview because that's you. You're our spotlighted guest, and we like to start Entrepreneur on Fire interviews off with success quotes, with mantras. I know you have a great one for us, so take it away.
1: I got a few, but one of my favorites is comes from the, the great American artist Chuck Close, and he says... Um, inspiration is for amateurs. The rest of us just show up and work. And I think there's a tendency, especially for those of us in semi-creative professions to, oh, I'm not inspired to write today. Oh, I'm not inspired to create today. Oh, I'm not inspired today, so I better not work. And I just think that's utter crap. Um, I mean, I think that there's there's a huge advantage in showing up and showing up the next day and showing up the next day. Uh, If you wait around for inspiration, it's going to be a very long wait. And to some extent, I think it's actually incredibly uh, indulgent. So uh, inspiration is for amateurs. Just get to work.
0: Love that, Dan. You've obviously applied that at many points during your journey. And that's what we want to focus on right now. We want to talk about your entrepreneurial journey because you've been doing this now self-employed, as you said, for over 16 years. So you've seen some ups. You've seen some downs. You've seen it all, my friend. And I want you to take us back To a time specifically when you failed or when you face a massive challenge or a massive obstacle that really had you digging deep and Dan really take us there you're an author we want to hear a story we want to be right next to you when this is happening and then share with us the lessons you learned from this experience.
1: I would really go back to the days when I was just starting out and I had signed a contract to write a book And I had written before, obviously, and written magazine articles and things like that before, but uh, I got to a point where I realized something that kind of was daunting, which is that I didn't know how to write a book. I knew how to write other things. But I was embarked on this very, at least to me in my little world, a very high stakes project. It was the source of my income for that year or year and a half or two years or whatever. It was, you know, the source of my self-definition. And I realized at a certain point that I didn't know how to do it. Um, And that was kind of alarming. And I guess the way that I did it was by in some, I mean, maybe it's not the best guidance for people. But the way that I chose to deal with that was, in some level, try to not think about it and put it out of my head and be very, very short term in the way that I was thinking about things. So it's basically was, could I do some good work today? Okay? That was my goal. Could I do some good work tomorrow? You know, and just focus day to day, getting through each day and trying to do some small good work each day. And... It was a leap of faith that eventually I would figure it out. But it was, I mean, I really had some dark nights of the soul realizing that what I had set off to do was something that I didn't know how to do Um, because I had never done it before. And it turned out to be much more difficult and much more challenging than I expected. And my solution in some ways was, I guess, John, to go micro is not to think about, was not to think about the big picture, but only to think about, can I do something valuable? Can I make a little progress today? Can I make a little progress the next day? Can I make a little progress the next day? And take the leap of faith that if I did that, eventually I would figure it out. And over time, I did figure it out, but it took a very, very, very long time. And, you know, dealing with that kind of uncertainty is the kind of chronic, um, stress that I think a lot of entrepreneurs live with.
0: See, those are some great insights, Dan, and that's why one of my favorite books I've ever read is called The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy, because in that book, he really focuses on the small actions that we take on a daily basis can truly add up to something. So when we stop stepping back and looking at the macro and saying, wow, I had this 400 page novel to write, instead yeah. of saying, you know what, I'm just going to write four great pages today, guess what? After a hundred days, you have your four hundred page novel with that compound effect that's adding up, and I think that's such a powerful insight for the listeners. So I'm really honored that you shared that with us.
1: And it's also, John, it's not only that. It's not only that. It's not only that it adds up, but it, that it, eventually you kind of bump into enough trees. Eventually, you begin to see the forest. You know, and that's sort of what it was. That's that's that that that's sort of what it was for me. There's a great. Um, uh, there's a great writer named John McPhee who's you know, written nonfiction for, I don't know, probably 50 years now. And he once wrote a book long, long ago about, about Bill Bradley, when Bill Bradley, way before he was a senator, way before he was an NBA player, when Bill Bradley was a basketball player at Princeton University. And yeah. one of the things that McPhee said about Bradley in the way that he described him is that Bradley had the book, is, the book that he wrote is called A Sense of Where You Are a sense of where you are. And Bradley had, you know, on the basketball court, a sense of where he was. And what I lacked at that moment when I was trying to figure out how to do this was a sense of where I was. And, 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 it, was a, and it really was a leap of faith that eventually I would have a sense of where I was. And, and it's because I hadn't done it before. And once you go through that, and once you kind of come out on the other side, you know, again, I don't want to sound like a, you know, inspirational ringtone here, but, you know, you do come out on the better side stronger for it.
0: So one thing I pulled out of there that I just loved is if you bump into enough trees, eventually you will see the forest. And, and that's really what I took out of that entire struggling period that you went through. But Dan, in your own words, boil it down for Fire Nation. What's one clear lesson that you learned from that time period in your life?
1: Get good work done today. I mean, just get good work done today, you know, and, um, and don't, you know, don't, if you're always trying to figure out what's the big picture, I, I, you know. if you're always trying to figure out what's the big picture, what's the big picture, uh, I think you can get stymied. And so if you're a little confused about the big picture, uh, I think a very good remedy for that is just to get good work done today.
0: Love that and let's go to the other end of the spectrum now Dan because again these are 16 years that we're going back over you shared with us at the beginning the struggles when you were writing your first book and the lessons learned from that let's go to the other end of the spectrum with that aha moment that light bulb that went off because at one point you said you know what. This is my authentic self. This is what I want to write, or this is what I want to do. Share with us that story, Dan. Take us down to the ground level there, and tell us the steps that you took afterwards to turn it into a success.
1: Well, that's a good question. You know what? Uh, you know, here's the, the story. Was basically this, John. Um, I'll, I'll truncate it a lot. Cool let's go back to the time when I was 18. Okay. By the time I was 18, I was in college. Um, I was not a journalism major. I initially set out to do that, but I decided I didn't want to do that. I was not a journalism major. I was not a writing major. Um, I was actually a linguistics major, but, um, even, uh, you know, cause I loved social science and I love the kind of, I love the analytical rigor of, of, of linguistics. And, and, um, but all, you know, that whole time I was in college, I was writing quote unquote on the side. So um, I was doing a couple of magazine or newspaper articles. I was entering short story contests, et cetera, et cetera. Even though I was a very kind of left brain social science major, so I go to law school. Well, I, I, I actually worked a little bit and did, before going to law school, and in that time I was like writing op eds for newspapers and writing stuff on the side. But you know, I didn't consider myself a writer. And then I went to law school, and I was writing articles on the side and writing op eds on the side, and then. Uh, when I took started working in politics, I was still, like, doing book reviews on the side, and I was writing magazine articles on the side and newspaper articles on the side. Even in some cases when I was working in the federal government, I wasn't allowed to get paid for those things, understandably. And I was doing – basically staying up late at night working on something for free. Um, and, you know, after a certain amount of time – and now, you know, so we're going from age 18 to what would it be my early 30s um, – Eventually, it occurred to me and it occurred to my wife, especially that what I was doing on the side was really, to use your words, the true expression of who I was right. um, and that what I was doing on the side probably should be what I was doing in the center. And I think there's a big lesson there. You know, there's you know, I, 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 I it's a I think it's an important lesson. It's One I try to convey to people is that a lot of times people say, like, you know, what's your passion? Find your passion. And the truth is, I think that's a kind of a daunting question. I think the, you know, don't ask yourself, what's your passion? Ask yourself, what do you do? You know, what do you do when nobody's watching? What do you do when you don't have to do something? And I think if we watch what we do, um, we get a lot of lessons. And, And what I did for, I mean, you know, a decent amount of time, you know, well over a decade, was I was writing. And if you had said to me then, is writing your passion? I would say, I don't know. Uh, if, you would said to, if you say to me now, is writing your passion? I would say, I don't know, sometimes writing is a giant pain in the ass, <laughs> but um, many times it is. Um, but it's what I do. And, and, I, and I think that that's really the, the takeaways. Look, look for, for, for your audience, John. Look for what you do. What do you do? Ask yourself that question. What do you do?
0: So again, Dan, you just boil it down right at the end, that question, what do you do? So just kind of sum it up into one thought process of all of that aha moment, those that resonating with yourself and that authentic Dan Pink. What would you share as a lesson for Fire Nation?
1: I would say um, forget trying to figure out what your passion is and instead look at what you do. Ask yourself, what do you do when nobody's watching? What do you do for free? What do you do because it's part of who you are? And so look at your Look at your behaviors, look at your actions. And I think that's going to give you some insight into what your passion is.
0: Great insights. And Dan, what would you consider your greatest business success thus far in your journey?
1: The fact that I'm still uh, working for myself uh, 16 and a half years after starting.
0: That's the first thing that popped into my mind. I'm like, wow, this guy has been feeding himself, his family. He's been rocking and rolling for over 16 years. I mean,
1: yeah, actually, I like the way you put that. It's like, I think the, the biggest success is that, um, is that uh, my kids have winter coats and yeah. um, the bank hasn't foreclosed on our house. <laughs>
0: We'll take it, Dan. And what I want to do right now is bring things to present time because I shared a lot of what you have done and what you have going on right now in the intro, but share with Fire Nation one or two things that you're doing right now that you're just really excited or proud of.
1: My latest creation is a book called To Sell as Human, which is a a book about the art and science of selling. And that's obviously something near and dear to entrepreneurs' hearts. And um, and you know it's it's, the, it's my fifth book and in some ways my favorite book because I found it most useful to me personally, and so it allowed me to really go into this topic of sales, which I think we, takes a gets a very very bad rap, and recognize that that sales has changed more in the last ten years than the, than in the previous one hundred, and that in order to do it well on this new terrain, uh, where Buyers have as much information as sellers. That's the big change. Uh, To do it well on this new terrain, you can look to the social science for how to do it more effectively. And what the social science tells us is that we should do it in a much more open, honest, transparent, humane way.
0: So, Dan, I really want you to use this platform for just the next minute or so because Fire Nation they're composed of entrepreneurs, of wantrepreneurs, of sidepreneurs, of small business owners. If we read your book, what are a couple of things that we'd really pull out of it that we can utilize day to day?
1: Oh, I think there are all kinds of things. First of all, I mean, I'll give you, I'll give you a bunch of them, John. So sure. um, we tend to think that uh, the mantra should be ABC: A always B, B, C, closing, always be closing. And that's a very outdated approach to sales. That's a, that's a very, that's an effective approach to sales when buyers don't have much information, don't have many choices, and don't have a way to talk back, which is how it was for many, many years. But that's not the world we live in today. And so if you look at the social science, it yields a new set of ABCs, which are the foundational qualities that are necessary to be effective in persuading, influencing, moving, selling. Uh, A, attunement, B, buoyancy, C, clarity. Attunement, buoyancy, and clarity. So you want to be attuned. That is, you want to be able to take... Get out of your own head and see things from someone else's point of view. Buoyant, you want to stay afloat on the ocean of rejection that is sales and entrepreneurship more broadly. And C, um, you want to be able to not only to access information but to curate information and make sense of it. And you want to be able not only to solve existing problems but to find hidden problems. And so A, attunement, B, buoyancy, C, clarity, that's the recipe for being effective in sales today. That's just one. Uh, another thing that I think your listeners might be really interested in is there's some fascinating research showing that um, that, you, that one does not have to be a strong extrovert to be effective in sales. In fact, uh, it turns out some really, really amazing research that um, not surprisingly strong introverts are terrible at sales, but strong extroverts are almost as bad because they talk too much and listen too little. And the people who actually do the best are what are called ambiverts a term that's been in the literature since the 1920s. Ambiverts are people who are somewhat introverted and somewhat extroverted. So this idea that sales success requires being extremely extroverted is flatly wrong. There is no evidence of it. Indeed, there is evidence of the opposite. Um, And what you really want to do is be ambiverted, a little extroverted, a little introverted. And the good news is that most of us are ambiverts. Relatively, there's a bell curve of distribution on the extroversion, introversion scale that shows that a few of us are strong introverts, a few of us are strong extroverts, but most of us are in the middle. So I think that's a really big lesson for, um, I think that's a really big lesson for entrepreneurs. And then another one that I would add is that, you know, we always talk about pitching and the elevator pitch. Uh, There's some really interesting new ways to pitch that are becoming more, that the science shows are effective. Um, pitching with questions is enormously effective um, under many conditions. Uh, I, I think that every entrepreneur, every business should have a one-word pitch that distills what you're about in one word. Uh, there's uh, There are ways to pitch via Twitter that turn out to be effective. There are ways to configure an email subject line that's effective. Uh, there's even a lot of evidence showing that rhyming pitches are more effective than pitches that don't rhyme. So. Um, this book, To Sell as Human, you know, I mean, obviously I'm biased, but this book of, is, is just chock full of tools and tips and insights that people can use to get a little bit better today at selling and moving other people.
0: Well, Dan, those are just some great insights across the board, and I'm really glad you clarified ambiverts as a word that was established in the 1920s, because otherwise I would have been convinced that you made it up on the spot. Yeah,
1: you know what? <laughs> it's me, it drives me crazy. You know, it's like that's I mean, that word's been around for almost 100 years. There's just that our discussion of introversion, and extroversion, like many things, is, is just too binary. And, you know, if you ask people, you know, if you if you force people to pick a side, they'll pick one or the other. But if you actually allow them to describe who they are, most people say, well, I'm a little bit this way. I'm a little bit that way. I'm this way under some conditions. I'm that way under other conditions. So most of us are ambiverts.
0: Absolutely. I love that. It's just some great insights. And again, people love polarizing situations and that's what introverts and extroverts are. But as you said, the bell curve, most of us are ambiverts in a lot of ways. It's just the extremes. Yeah, exactly. So Dan, we're just going to take a quick minute and thank our sponsors. If you're an entrepreneur or someone who's working on a startup, then seeking legal advice and services can be a scary thing. It just sounds expensive. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Walker Corporate Law, a boutique corporate law firm specializing in the representation of entrepreneurs and startups. They've not only created a new business model designed specifically for entrepreneurs and startups looking for an alternative to big law firms, they've mastered it. At Walker Corporate Law, it's their mission to protect entrepreneurs like you and to help you succeed. Every lawyer at Walker Corporate Law has at least 10 to 25 years of experience. No junior lawyers getting on-the-job training here. That means you can rest assured that you and your business are being taken care of by professionals who have seen it all. So if you're looking to skip the huge law firm but still ensure that you're protected, contact the founder of Walker Corporate Law directly, scott at com. That's scott at com. Listen, do I do, do you want to know a secret? Do I do, do you promise not to tell? Oh, whoa, 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 close Oh, sorry about that, Fire Nation. I was just thinking about a great secret I've been dying to tell someone. It's this amazing online library of over 40,000 audiobook titles over at audiobooks.com. Business titles? Of course they have business titles. The four hour work week, utility, those are just a couple that are available for your listening and learning pleasure. Love to read, but having some troubles with that while driving and working out? With audiobooks.com, you can listen instantly from anywhere. Just download your audiobooks from your Apple or Android device for offline listening or stream them with a mobile or Wi-Fi connection. They also offer some great membership benefits like an audiobook every month plus 33% off each additional title you listen to. Are you ready to get started? Sign up today and get your first book for free at audiobooks.com slash fire. So Dan, this is a great segue into what my favorite part of the interview is, the lightning round. Cause this is where I get to Uh-oh. ask you a series of questions and you come back at us fire nation style with amazing and mind blowing answers. Sound like a okay, plan. But
1: short, short, <laughs> short answers that both are that amaze and blow
0: minds. Exactly. Okay. In one word, as you like to say that one is,
1: word, I got only got one word. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. All right. All right. I'm, I'm so ready for this.
0: <laughs> what was holding you back from becoming an entrepreneur?
1: Fear of, uh, not being able to support my family.
0: What is the best advice you've ever received?
1: Don't work for somebody else.
0: Can you share one of your personal habits that you believe attributes to your success?
1: Showering regularly.
0: (laughs) Even if you work in a garage?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, No, um, (laughs) I have to go a little bit beyond the lightning here. Uh, When I'm writing, when when I'm on deadline for a book or an article, I write a certain number of words each day. And I I find that discipline very, very helpful.
0: Nice. Do you have an internet resource like an Evernote that you're just in love with? You can share with our listeners.
1: Springwise.com. It's amazing. It's a great one for entrepreneurs. It's this incredible collection of new business ideas from around the world.
0: Wow. Well, fire nation, you can find the links to this resource and everything that we've mentioned in today's episode at slash Dan Pink. Dan, if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be?
1: I would recommend The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Oh,
0: love that book. It got me on the Stephen Pressfield kick. I think my last seven purchases have been Stephen Pressfield hooking into yeah, the yeah, Kindle store. a
1: great store. book, isn't it? And uh, it's, a, you know, I, 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 it's so funny because I came upon that book completely inadvertently. I saw it uh, literally in the San Francisco Airport bookstore. And, and I bought it and I read it on the plane. It's like, holy crap, this is like, this is like one of the best books I've ever read.
0: (laughs) Well, Dan, Fire Nation loves audio. And if they haven't already, they can get the audio version of this book for free at eofirebook.com. That's eofirebook.com. And Dan, this next question is my favorite. So you don't have to apply the lightning rule to it, but it's kind of tricky. So take your time, digest it, then come back at us with an answer. Imagine you woke up tomorrow morning in a brand new world, identical to Earth, but you knew no one. You still have all the experience and knowledge you currently have, your food and shelter taken care of, but all you have is a laptop and $500. What would you do in the next seven days?
1: I guess what I would do is I would say, okay, this is a brand new world, so let me figure out um, what I'm good at, And try to do it. See if there's a way to do that initially. And then uh, try to ask somebody for help. And when I say help, I don't mean money or support or anything like that. Just say, hey, I'm new to this world. Explain to me how it works. And then I would say, who else could I talk to? Who else could I talk to? So I would I would go in and say, think about what I'm good at and then start asking a lot of questions.
0: Well, Dan, those are just some great insights across the board throughout your journey, your failures, your challenges, your aha moments, your theme of just do the work. Literally, just sit down and do the work. I love that. It's how I found success here at Entrepreneur on Fire. So what I would like you to do now is just give Fire Nation one parting piece of guidance, and then share the best way that we can find you, and then we'll say goodbye.
1: If you want to try to do something new and different, really think through um, two things. Number one, uh, what's the worst case scenario? Because it's usually not as bad as you think. And then also, you know, two, what are the opportunity costs of not doing it? And I think when people realize that the, that the, that the worst case scenario isn't as bad as they think, and the opportunity costs of doing things the same way are pretty high, that often, that often moves them off the dime.
0: And what's the best way that we can find you, Dan?
1: Www. DanPink.com. Ah,
0: oh, love it. Dan, Fire Nation is well aware. They can find the links to everything of value that we've mentioned in today's episode at EOFire.com. Click on the podcast tab because you are hanging out in the archives or just type the word Dan into the search bar and his show notes page will pop right up. So Dan Pink, thank you for being so generous with your time, your expertise, and experience. Fire Nation salutes you and we'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you, John. It's been a pleasure. Entrepreneurs, the best action we can take for our businesses is to grow our audiences. After that, anything is possible. Podcasting is an incredible way to grow your audience, establish authority, and an intimate connection with your listeners. What's holding you back? The technical skills? Well, no longer. Podcastersparadise.com changes all that. Podcasters Paradise is a community of podcasters exchanging ideas, an ever-growing library of incredible video tutorials for every stage in the podcaster's journey, and private webinars with today's top experts. What are you waiting for? The gate to podcastersparadise.com can be unlocked for one price. Come check us out today.